Welcome back to the Crash Course Podcast. My name is Craig Crash Collins. And from the bottom of our hearts, B. Scott and I want to thank you guys all for watching us, for listening to us this year on the Crash Course Podcast, whether you get us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Twitch, uh, YouTube, wherever uh, you watch us, listen to us every week. Um, we're very grateful to have each and every one of you in this community uh, for giving us your support. Uh, we're very grateful grateful. We're also excited to see what 2022 has in store, not just for the podcast, but for 3C Media as a whole. Um, so uh, without further ado, like we do every single year, we cap off uh, the great calendar year by taking a look back over the next hour or so at the best segments uh, from the Crash Course podcast in 2021. So without further ado, you're listening to the best of 2021 for the Crash Course podcast. I wanted to talk about Coach K, but like there's not a whole lot to really not that there's not a lot to talk about, but like what are we gonna say? Like, oh Coach K was a great coach. All right. You know, like yeah. there's not I'm trying I mean, to think of like what are you a, gonna say? What what are you gonna that say that hasn't, hasn't been said, said yeah. before? Yeah. Right. It's, so I mean it, it, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, you know, first C one <laughs> men's coach with a thousand wins, five national titles, fifteen ACC titles. I mean, you know, but what got me thinking about like what could the segment idea be uh for Coach K is I was like, you know what? I've never really been a Duke fan, but if there's somebody on you know that's associated with Duke that I'm like, you know what? If Duke wins the national title, I'm at least glad that this person, you know, at least gets to have another ring. It's Coach K. Um, so yeah. I was like, you know, what would be interesting is to go into what are who who are the people on teams that we hate that we like, you know, who are the most mm -hmm. loved people on on teams that we just despise. Um, and so I was looking I wanted to, you know, try to stay as middle of the road as possible as far as like not just going off of teams that I specifically hate. But just like <laughs> teams that I hate, but also like the general public does as well. So I, sure. I went. Um, to the Bleacher Report. Um, this is a list from 2012, and I make that specifically an issue because uh, on that on this list is the East Germany swim team, which I don't know what they're doing <laughs> in East Germany, but like, quit pissing people off. Like, you're just be a swim team. You don't have to be crazy. I like, just just. I wonder if it's something doing? tight. I wonder if it's something tied specifically to the swim team or just the fact that it's Germany and Germany obviously has their, their history. Of, Maybe, but I don't know, but I don't know. Cause why, why would you take that history out on, on specifically the swimming team? It's not right. like, <laughs> I, I just, it's not like you're like their soccer team can go, you know, burn in hell. It's, it's not well, like that. It's, it's the swim team was listed on there. So I don't know. Put it this way to tie it all together. Carmel swim team, which, you know, Chris, you're a Carmel grad from, you know, Carmel High School here in Indiana. Uh, their swim team has won like literally like 50 titles in a row. And I can guarantee you no one cared. Like, yeah. they, I mean, it's, yeah. it's awesome. It's a incredible yeah. feat, but like no one outside of that community, you know, gives no that one, a look other than like. In the sense that, in the sense that no one cares enough to hate them for right, it. Right, right. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. 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 That's what you're saying. It's it's not it's not the eh, whatever don't care. It's yeah. the it, it doesn't have that hatred factor to it of right. like, well, if I couldn't win it, at least this guy didn't win, and then they do, and you're just extra mad about the whole season, right? You know the whole the whole thing. So I got you, right? So um so looking at that list, it's the Yankees, the Lakers, USC football, the Red Sox, Notre Dame football. <laughs> 
Detroit Red uh, Detroit Red Wings, uh, East Germany swim team, the 49ers, <laughs> uh, University of Miami football, Duke rounds out the top ten. So yeah, I was like, I, I just want to make wanted to make sure that like my list here wasn't just you know off the reservation and only teams that I hated. <laughs> so I was like, I want to make sure I look at a list to make sure that, that it's that it's not just like a hundred percent just Craig crash bias. Like, oh, you know what? I hate IU, but I like this yep. team. Or hey, I'm, sure. I'm, oh, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one. You know, I'm the only one, but like Indiana is yeah. that's more specific to Indiana than it is anywhere else. Um, but uh, so for me, here is my list. Um, it's in no real particular order. Um, but I've got Rob Gronkowski of the Patriots. Um, you know what? I I eat. You know, I don't really like the Patriots, or obviously don't like the Patriots. Don't like Tom Brady really. Um, but you know what, Rob Gronkowski, he's just, he's just a goof. He's just a goofball. Mm. Like there's, it's hard to hate Rob Gronkowski. Um, you know, he was on the mass singer, which you and I are big fans of, um, you know, he's just, it's hard to hate that guy. He's just, you know, a funny dude. Um, I love the story that he told about like how, like, cause we all know the story of how he was almost traded the lions, but retired. And like, I've hearing him tell that story and just the laugh. You know, you can't you can't hate Gronk. Uh, you know, having this have after the Super Bowl loss, having his shirt off, you know, spiking beers, like he's he's just a dude. Uh then I've got Coach K at Duke. You know, I it's one of those kind of like because for a while, like for whatever reason, I think it's because like, you know, some of the teams, you know, when I was uh growing up, I was a like a Kobe fan and a Shaq fan more than anything else. And so like they went through the Spurs a lot. So I wasn't a big like Spurs fan, but as time went on, like I was like, you know what? I don't really like the Spurs, but I respect Greg Popovich. I respect Tim Duncan, you know, all those guys. Um, that's how I feel about Duke. Like I don't really, I don't like Duke. There's really nothing. There's nothing like yeah. charismatic about coach K that I like, but when somebody is that good at what they do, it's hard to be like, I hate the, I don't care if they like, no, I mean, you, you respect what they're able to yeah. do in the time period they're able to do it. And we like say like, Hey, we've never seen this before. And we were, you know, honored to see what this person was able to do, you know, being able to get to a thousand wins, being the first D one men's coach. Like that's pretty incredible. Um, I was trying to think on the Yankees. I mean, uh, the obvious one there is Derek Jeter. So I went kind of off the reservation. Uh, Mariano Rivera. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a guy. You know, if you know if you ever tune into uh, an MLB the show stream over Twitch.tv/slash Craig Crash, you know that I'm a, a big uh, you know fan of the pitching. Mariano Rivera, one of the best closers. Uh, you know, if not the best closer uh, in baseball history. Uh, so yeah, it's hard to hate him. He's a quiet dude. He just goes out there and shoves, you know, in the ninth inning and, you know, has, you know, basically and, and did it all throwing essentially one pitch. So there's really yeah. not a whole lot to hate there. Um, And then, you know what, as much as he tormented me as a Cubs fan, Albert Pujols is on the list for me. I don't really, I don't really hate him. I don't like, <laughs> and I don't know if it's because like it's been 10 years. And so like, right. I've had time to like simmer a little bit. But like time I just, heals all wounds. Exactly. But like, I'm like, you know, I never really hated him when he was on the Cardinals or don't remember being like, ah, oh, screw that guy. Like, of course he did. Yeah. I, I, I think more when I think of that kind of guy for the Cardinals, cause I don't even really dislike oh, Arenado or Paul Goldschmidt. But when I think of that I guy, like I'd be like Randall Gritchick. Like I hate <laughs> Randall Gritchick. Like 
he's not like a real commonly known name outside of baseball circles. But like, if I'm going to yep. name somebody that I hate from the Cardinals, like all the time, I'm like freaking Randall Gritchick. Like, of course, hits a, you know, we're up five, nothing. He hits a, you know, bases empty eight run grand slam to put the yep. Cardinals up and extend their, you know, one game lead on the division to seven. And now all of a sudden we're, you know, under 500, even though we were 20 games over at the beginning of the game, like, whatever and we lost um, and we lost a draft pick lost a first rounder yeah, like it's all it's, it's just all horrible i'm right. surprised i'm not gonna lie i'm surprised you didn't go yachty i'm, I'm surprised oh, that's a good one I, actually i like that that's a good one when i, I when i th- when i think of that cardinals personified like that person that just rubs me the wrong way has forever will net like it's it's a hundred percent yachty yeah. um and then if and, and then when you said Randall Gritchick, the name that popped up for me is Matt Carpenter because he had that yeah. one stu- stupid hot run and everybody anointed him the greatest thing that ever touched baseball. Should have been MVP. And yeah, just all and it just and he, and I just I can't I don't like his face. I just like everything. <laughs> oh my god! I just yeah, it's, it's those two for me are at the top of the list when you talk about Cardinals. But yeah, yeah those are all good right. ones. Those are good ones yeah. with uh, with Yachty too, because yeah, Yachty, you know, a big proponent of the unwritten rules, yet throws a bat in the center field after a walk off sack fly. He's, yeah. I mean, I I I um. I did respect him for a while before he just started being an absolute, like getting mad that, oh, how dare you call St. Louis boring? How dare yep. Wilson Contreras say that he's the best? Say, he's supposed yep. to say he's the second best. How dare? Yep, that's the one. Like, just basically, yep. just, oh, yeah, it's annoying. Rounding out the <laughs> list for me uh, is Justin Verlander on the Astros. Uh, sure. You know, of all the Astros, I, I, I was a Justin Verlander fan. Mm-hmm. Like when he was on the Tigers, oh, he was yeah. on my fantasy baseball team for a long time. I got to see Justin Verlander pitch in person. So I, uh, when he uh, made a rehab, a, a, a rehab a start, I can't remember why I can't say start for some reason. Um, <laughs> you know, he made a rehab start uh, against the Indianapolis Indians. So I got to see him pitch um, for the Toledo Munhead. So I like Justin Verlander. I'm glad he got a ring. Of course, the ring that he got is the tainted ring from the 2017 Astros. So if there's a player from the hated Astros that I can pick, I'm going with Justin Verlander. Right. I, I see exactly where you're, where you're going with the logic behind that, that yes, you know, it, the two things can be separated that way. We're like, yep, it's a tainted ring and I don't like it at all. But you know what, if, if, if a guy is going to get one finally, and it, it's, I'm glad that it's this guy. So, and, and yeah, Verlander was is, like Kershaw, like if it was yeah. Kershaw, and oh, the Astros, yeah. I'd be like, okay, fine. At least Kershaw's yep. got a ring, whatever. Yeah. And, and Verlander is absolutely that dude who, who deserves a ring for, from whatever, man, you talk, you talk Verlander and I, I don't mean to get us off course again, but like, just, it, it's crazy to think about the talent that Detroit has had over the last, say 15 years come through. I know they haven't all been in their prime, you know, on the same, on the team at the same time. So it's hard to, it's hard to say like, Oh, they should have won. They should have won it all and been a dynasty. But like when you start listing the talent, like pitching and offense that has come through there, it's crazy to be like, you're talking about those bottom feeding <laughs> Detroit Tigers who, who win like 60 games a year that those guys, because, I mean, you're talking Verlander, Scherzer, Miguel Cabrera, Nick Castellanos. I mean, and that's just four off the top of my head. Well, the like, pitching staff by itself, I mean, I know you and I have talked about just, you know, in the fact, you know, for the simple fact that we hang out because we live four houses away from each other. But, like, you know, we've talked about the fact that the 2014 playoffs were, like, the Royals, the Tigers, and the Angels, three <laughs> of the teams from the AL. But that 2014 
Tiger, at least I think it's the 2014 Tigers team, is the one that had, I mean, pitching staff, like you said, Max Scherzer, they had uh, Justin Verlander, they had Rick Porcello, they had David Price. Right. Um, they oh, had, yeah. yeah, exactly. David Price. So, so they had all those guys. And then, yeah, they had Miguel Cabrera, Prince Fielder. Um, yep. They had uh, Victor Martinez, <laughs> who was solid at the time. So, like, they had um, Austin Jackson. Um, so they yeah. had... They had prime talent. Like, yeah, I mean, we would be looking if the Dodgers hadn't won the World Series last year. And let's say they'd never won a ring like that would be like basically it'd be like if the Dodgers never won a ring. Not necessarily to the same yeah. extent, because, I mean, obviously, you know, the Tigers they, never they, added like Mookie Betts. But like at the same right. time, you know, but they, they had triple. They did have triple crown Miguel Cabrera, like right. not that year, but, the, you know, he was there, like, yeah, it wasn't quite what he is now where he like literally can't hit the baseball. So, I mean, right. You know, so yeah, they right. had a, a team that very well should have won a World Series that didn't. Yeah, and to be fair, I think it speaks more not so like I'm not trying to say like the Tigers bumbled all of that talent. I want to look at it more in the light of like it just shows how hard it is to win in baseball. Yeah, like that it's way more about how hard it is to win a title in baseball and why we haven't had a back-to-back winner in forever. We haven't had a dynasty since the '90s with with those Yankees. Like yeah. it, it, that it, it's all about that and not saying like Detroit messed up it, it, it. So, but you know what, if I'm going to go, you know, I love this. I love this segment, by the way, the top, your, your five favorite players and coaches on hated teams. It, it's a really, it's a fun way to think about it. So don't be surprised if you see me kind of bring this to the other guys. And, and we also talk about it this oh, week. Absolutely. Um, at least in a, in a small segment. Cause I'm curious, I'm definitely curious who somebody like Tade, who's way out in left field anyway, and Michael, who's even further <laughs> he's off the like, reservation. He's going <laughs> to talk about like some random like soccer coach soccer, for like, yeah, Real, yeah. Real Madrid. Um, I really hate, you know, I hate Messi. Uh, or I like I like yeah. this team, but I hate, you know, I love Messi, whatever <laughs> team Messi's on. And and Michael, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of like like who's who's a universally just loved athlete like Mike Trout. My, Michael would be like, I can't stand Mike Trout, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, like why? So, why are we doing this? So like, not to do some, pro- I mean, you could take that segment. I absolutely, you know, on air production talk right now, but also you, yeah. if you wanted to you could <laughs> flip the argument of like, okay, now who's like a top, you know, who's from a team that's like very well loved? Who's a player you hate? Like, ah, uh, okay, you know, you could you're, do it. From you're like, I love, too. yeah. Okay, I like I love, it. I, I, I like love, where you're. Like, I love the Colts, but I really hate you know R- Rodrigo Blankenship. Just kidding, I love Rodrigo Blankenship, but <laughs> you know, right, as, right, right, exactly. That, I got you. Okay, I like it. I, I like where your head's at. Always in the same wavelength with you. I love it. So <laughs> my list, real quick, on, on my favorite players. So I'm I'm definitely gonna steal two of yours. Actually, I think three. But I got I got Gronk because you just can't. You can't not love Gronk, even if you're, you know, like we are not Patriots fans. We despise them, blah, blah, all that. Hate seeing them win. Hated seeing Tom Brady's smiling face every other year with a Super Bowl trophy in his hand. But Gronk Gronk made it at least palatable. Gronk makes it fun. And I think part of the reason, the more I think about it, I think part of the reason Gronk is so appealing is is obviously like you can see from the first time you see him in an interview or, or in any kind of appearance, he is he has all the charisma in the world and all this charismatic, fun, fun loving frat boy energy about him that is just so appealing. But I think what makes that so much fun is going to an organization like the Patriots, who are so 
opposite that, who are so clean cut and we do things the right way even that they don't. And like <laughs> all this and that, like, you, you know, they're so buttoned up that like they get that. It's like, it's like wild thing from major league where like, you, you know, it's it's such a perfect marriage because they're they're oil and water and it works. Like Gronk, I think Gronk would be so much fun regardless of where he went. But I actually think he's the most fun as a New England Patriot because of that or, the way that organization is. If he were to go be in Jacksonville and party it up and even and and do things, people would still love him. But I don't think he would have it would be the same level that he's loved. Yeah, now. Yeah. Um, and then obviously Coach K, reg- again, another dude, regardless of what you think about Duke and Duke basketball and how much you hate them and you can't stand to see them winning, at the end of the day, you, you have to tip your cap to the co- you have to tip your hat to the coach, especially when you're talking about a collegiate program where the turnover theoretically is every four years he has a brand new roster. So it's not like he's t- he, it's not like he rode the same core guys to these five titles and then didn't win anything for 20 years, but he still has his five titles. I mean, this is a dude that just year in and year out has been a thorn in the side of, of basketball and and has won multiple times with with all kinds of different talent and schemes and things so you you have to tip your hat off to him um and then i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with chris bosh of the miami heat because again that's just a dude who just i i just loved watching him play basketball he he was he was such a, a unicorn out there where you know he's this tall lanky dude who doesn't look like he should be able to do the things he could do on a basketball court. And he was part of this. I mean, I think he's one of the last bit of that last generation coming now into this new generation of like these stretch four and these, these, these centers who can step outside and shoot and still play defense. He was probably the, one of the better ones to do both ends of actually playing tough nose defense and still being able to, to hurt you on the offensive end from outside and pass the ball. I mean, and he was just so much fun. Um, on even on those Miami Heat teams that you know I couldn't stand as a Pacers fan because they always went through Indiana and always came out on top. Yeah. Um, and I and I don't like D Wade and I don't like LeBron even though I respect both of them and what they've done. Like, okay. see, I was gonna say I was gonna say that like I'm I, the only one of those three that I really didn't like was LeBron. I didn't mind D Wade okay. and I didn't mind Chris Bosh, but I was gonna say, hey, I mean, I was yeah. gonna say, don't you agree? But I, I mean, obviously you don't. But D, like, D, yeah, D Wade. I don't know what, and I really, it's one of those things I can't pinpoint. I don't know what it is. I can't be like on on this date and this time he did this. It's he, just something. He knocked I, over my drink in Miami one time. <laughs> it was he just cut me off rude. the interstate, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. No, I just I don't know what it is. He's the he's just never rubbed me the right way. I just have never enjoyed watching it. Or I don't know. It's just it, something something that wasn't right. But it, it's not to the level of where like I dislike him. I just never found myself rooting for him, and just kind of was like, oh, he won or whatever. Like, eh. Um, but Chris Bosh always was was just fun to watch. Super good dude. And I felt like yeah, I felt like he was just a good dude even off the court, which which is equally as important. Um, and then I'm gonna go Derek Jeter because again, like you talk about that dynasty of the Yankees. When you talk about that dynasty, if you if I were to ask you what one player like personifies that dynasty or is or, or what do you think of when I say 90s to early 2000s Yankees, as great as Mariano Rivera is, and I'll get to him. Like it, Derek Jeter is the, is the captain. Like he he comes to he's the, he's the guy. So you got to respect him. And then Mario Rivera is the last one because again, I think what everything that you said, um, I agree with. He, he's but I'll go a step further. I'll I'll say he's the best closer 
to ever step on a baseball diamond. I just, you can't, I have not seen a pitcher literally strike fear into an opposing lineup as much as Mariano Rivera did. I mean, it was to the, it's to the point now where like in his career, you essentially like, especially in his prime, like if you were down in the eighth inning, you knew the game was over. Like you just, there was no, you knew you were seeing Mariano Rivera and you basically couldn't do anything about it. Like when, when your game plan is so keyed around, like we just have to not see this dude. It, that's a level of respect, especially at the, in baseball that you just don't see. Um, and then, yeah, to do it all with essentially one pitch is just unheard of. The fact that he would go up there, I mean, just with the biggest of balls would go up there in a, with a one run lead in the bottom of the ninth and be like, I know what I'm going to do. You know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it anyway. And you're going to stand there and take it is just <laughs> un, it's just unfathomable to me. It's crazy. Um, and then I do have a bonus player for, for you and I, I would say Dexter Fowler as yeah. a Cardinal. Cause it just hurts. <laughs> it just, <laughs> it just well, hurts I mean, so it, much. It doesn't hurt <laughs> so much that the fact that like the Cardinals have been sort of like mediocre for the last few years. Like right. had, had he gone to a Cardinals uh, team that was like winning a hundred games a season, like it would be like, no, yeah. no, don't. Yeah. Do that. that would, <laughs> yeah, that would, that would hurt a lot more, but it still definitely hurt not only to lose him from the Cubs, just because he was, you know, the leadoff guy, he was the Yugo we go guy. So any team we went to, it would hurt, but then to end up there and then, and then to even go further and to, to see how the Cardinals fans treated him when he wasn't playing well, just, yeah. you know, it made you, made you just want to reach out your arms and be like, come back, come back to Chicago. Like, we'll love you. Like, give, I'll give you baseball. a hug. We'll, I know. Right. Woo. <laughs> Jeez. But yep. Okay. Those are, those are my guys. So you got, yep. like I said, Gronk, Coach K, Bosch, Jeter, Rivera, and then the Dexter Fowler. So yeah, all, all great list. picks, all great picks. So yeah, yeah, definitely a fun exercise. Are you tired of your same old lunch hour of sitting and scrolling through your apps on your smartphone? Have you thought about playing a board game with your coworkers? Eat Lunch and Board Game is a podcast dedicated to telling you about board games that are great for lunchtime fun and some that are probably better saved for after work hours. I've been playing games at my office for over four years now where I have made new friends and business connections that have been very useful. Board games build bridges. It sounds like a fun experience. And the reason why we bring it up is to kind of segue into something that happened while the College World Series was going on. Yeah, right before um, our last game. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, that the NCAA has made rule changes to allow athletes to make money off of their name, image, and likeness. Um, athletes can now be paid for endorsements and public appearances. Schools will not be able to pay athletes directly. We kind of you know knew that. Athletes can also now hire agents to negotiate um, some of these um, endorsement deals. So, um, you know, finally college athletes can make money off of, uh, you know, their, you know, performance and that kind of stuff, you know, as far as, you know, those performances leading to endorsements and speaking opportunities and stuff. So athletes can now technically get paid, which is really cool to see. And, and, and for me, you know, as far as, you know, reacting to that, it's about time. I know that this particular topic has been in the works for a long time, um, and now it finally happens. The debate had been for years on how you're going to pay players because, you know, I think the long time the argument was like, well, the schools can't really do it because, you know, obviously football and basketball generate the most income, but like there are some other sports that technically lose money and football and basketball helps pay for those other sports. So how do you take the revenue from that 
and, you know, allocate it to, you know, the, you know, other teams. And then also like, obviously, you know, the star quarterback, you know, you, you know, you know, Trevor Lawrence, you know, at Clemson is going to be making more than, you know, a men's soccer player. Um, so how do you make it fair, but also like make it a decent amount, you know, so there, it was always some sort of hiccup and there wasn't really a way to do it from like the schools being like a professional team and being like, all right, well, you're allocated this, you're allocated that. So this basically puts the onus on the players. Like, okay, you know what? You want to be able to make money, then you, it's up to you. Go do that. Um, you go get a, a deal with Nike. You go advertise, you know, you go do a, a speech at your local, you know, or at your former high school, you know, whatever. So, um, so I think that's the best way to go. Um, and I'm also interested to see how this affects recruiting uh, because it makes uh, another wrinkle into a subject we talked on the, about on the last Crash Course podcast uh, with Chris Simmons. And I, I know B. Scott will probably eventually talk about it a few times um, is the fact that, you know, obviously the NCAA is also considering it expanding the college football playoff to 12 teams. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how, you know, the fact of, okay, you know what? You know, one thing, one of the things I talked about being good about the college football playoff going to 12 teams is now you can literally go with the way that it's formatted. You can go to literally, you know, any player, any college football player, you know, in down the line uh, who's being recruited now, you know, any, you know, a high school player right now that's going to be in college football and say, hey, you have an actual chance to win a national championship now. You have a chance to go perform on a national stage. So now, if a, if a player is going to go be, you know, the fourth string quarterback in Alabama, at Alabama and might play his senior season, does he now go to maybe an Auburn or even like a UAB or something like that so he can maybe get on that national stage a little bit more, get a little bit more exposure to make more off endorsement deals? So, you know, it would be interesting to see how the possibility – to make money off of your name will impact how recruiting goes. Because like I said, if you're going to go be, you know, a bench warmer for three years, heck, you might go to a smaller school and that might disperse some of the talent a little bit. So I'm really excited to see uh, what the residual effects of this will be. So, yeah, I, I think it's about time for this as well. I, I totally agree. Um, from what I understand, just from reading over the, the press releases and everything like that, I may be off base here on it. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't look too deeply into it just because I had other things going on at the time. How dare but, you be Scott <laughs> for <from> my <laughs> high overview understanding is that the NCAA is not really going to, they don't have set guidelines for this. They're saying we're going to allow this. However, if you are a school that's located in a state that has laid out um, state legislation about this, you need to follow your state legislation. If you are in a, a school that does not have uh, state legislation, then look to your conference. Your conference should have legislation about this as well. So that's how it's going to go. The NCAA is still going to look at those, the schools paying players. That, that's still going to be something that the NCAA will always look at because that's still going to be something that's going to be tried to slip under the rug. However, now the NCAA can come back and say, okay, yeah, okay, this player, all of a sudden $20,000 showed up in their bank account. Show us the receipts for what they did to, to, to earn that, you know, like, and show us proof that, okay, yeah, they were paid $20,000 to go sign autographs for two hours. Prove it, you know, those types of things. So you're, they're going to be fighting the under the table stuff to still, and I think this is going to start pushing that 
away. It's going to be harder for the under the table stuff to happen. But as far as the recruiting goes, like my dad and I were talking about this over the weekend. I don't see this affecting recruiting very much at all. Ohio State and Alabama and Georgia and Auburn are still going to get the ones that they're battling each other for. You know, it's the top dogs that are going to be fighting for the top dog players. And then the trickle down. You know, there's going to be the Purdue's and the, uh, the Michigan States, the Minnesotas, the Wisconsin's that are going after that next tier. You know, it, everybody's still going to get slotted into their tiers just because you're some two-star player. Yeah, you've always wanted to go play for Al- – if you're from the state of Alabama, you've always wanted to go play for Alabama. But does that mean now because you can get endorsements, you're going to go to try to go to Alabama no matter what? Yeah, you can go try to walk on, but guess what? Nobody's giving an endorsement to a walk on no, at Alabama. I, I'm saying I'm kind of saying the opposite though. What I'm saying is like if you're a, if you're one of the many five star players that goes to Alabama, let's say you're you know let's say you're Mac Jones and you're you know NFL material, but right now you're behind you know Tua and you know all the other quarterbacks that Alabama had basically as they just reel off you know quarterback after quarterback. So what if instead of Staying at Alabama, he says, okay, you know what? I can go to Auburn and make, you know, I can be the face of Auburn football and make money off that. We were already seeing that recently here with that with the transfer rule. Already seeing but it. You weren't able Play, to make money, players, though. I know. I know. At that time, you weren't. No, but I, I just, I don't see, I just don't see it affecting recruit. I mean, maybe you might see it like, okay, let's say the state of Indiana gets like a, a really high rated four star, five star kid. He may have. He may now look at staying closer. He may look at staying at Purdue or uh, Indiana, maybe Notre, yeah, Notre Dame, even um, yeah. more so than because a lot of times these five, these big, highly rated recruits from the state of Indiana have been jumping state lines and going to play for Ohio State. Very few of them end up becoming a name. I mean, yeah, you got your Terry McLaurin, obviously. That's that's you know one. Um, but, you know, they get, they get lost in the shuffle. But you know what? A lot of these, these 18-year-olds are going to go through that regardless. They're going to go somewhere and they're going to realize, I'm not the star here. I'm not getting noticed. And then they're going to use the transfer rule. So I don't think it's going to affect recruiting up front. It's going to affect recruiting with the transfer portal, which we're already seeing because of the uh, one-time transfer rule. Right, so but you still have to sit out. Have- no, you don't. You don't have to sit out a year anymore? If you the first oh yeah that's right they didn't change that now, yeah, yeah the first time you transfer now you do not have to sit out or if you're a grad student already now the second time you transfer you do have to sit out um, right unless you can truly 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 prove hardship because at that point it's like mm, do you really have hardship or are you just uh, jump and ship again um, but I think where where this could potentially affect recruiting is. A, ta- a conversation that's already been started prior to NIL being passed it was ever since the transfer portal rule came about earlier this year. It's now going to be, okay, how many high school players are coaches going to look to take? I mean, this is going to affect more football than it is basketball. Basketball is always going to be basketball because let's just be honest. There's not as many play. I mean, we all know there's not as many players in basketball as there are in football and tra- and there's not, you know, the transfers are not as large of a, an equation in, in basketball as they are in football. So in football, you're already starting to see it. You're already starting to see coaches take smaller recruiting classes from high, the high school ranks and then use up more of their scholarship allotment each year 
on the transfer portal. We've seen, I mean, Purdue has used that significantly this past year. Um, and are already setting themselves up for it for next year as well. So I think where you're going to see recruiting get affected has nothing to do with NIL, but everything about transfer portal and the tra- and really the NIL is going to eventually affect the transfer portal because players are going to see, man, I thought I could come here and be a, an instant starter, which NIL or no NIL, you're still going to see players do that because they want to get on the field and play because they want to make it to the next level, essentially. Right, and, but when you have that added incentive of I can all I can not only oh, right. go play right away, but I can also get a you know endorsement deal or more speaking opportunities or opportunities to sign autographs. Like you don't think an eighteen year old kid can read a depth chart and read twenty four seven recruiting and see they that haven't been and able see, to so far. They haven't. They, their ego, their ego is telling them, man, look. Well, okay, I am the so star maybe the man, of my high school. I'm the star of my. I'm the star of my city. Everybody knows who I am. I'm going to go to Alabama and I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that program over. I'm going to take it by storm. They show up. They, they, I mean, they got this. They got this ego already. They show up to Alabama and all of a sudden, the star of every high school is there playing against them in practice. And it's not just a walk in the park anymore. They're not playing against some scrub from, you know, down the street in, uh, you know, Thornburg, Indiana. You know, it's it's now this is the best of the best where I'm playing up against in practice and I actually got to prove myself. So one, once push comes to shove, you're going to, they're going to see them hit the transfer portal. And we've seen that anyways already where they want to get in somewhere where they can, they can shine uh, where they can, they can actually get some PT rather than right. what they're getting now. But yes, you are correct. Add on top of the, the ability to go somewhere else and be the star to be the big name starter and earn those endorsement deals through that. Yes, that it's going to be an added bonus, but really what's going to happen is the Auburns, the Alabamas, the Ohio States, the Georgias and Notre Dames, they're uh, Clemson's, they're going to get theirs. They're going to get theirs. No matter what, they're always going to get theirs where it's where this, where your scenario is going to start affecting, it's going to start affecting the trickle down to teams like, the Wisconsin's like the Purdue's like the Texas techs, like the Baylor's and so on and so on. Those are the schools that are, they're not landing the big five-star names every year or any at that matter. But when those players start looking for opportunities elsewhere, not just for playing time, but for endorsement deals, that's when these other schools are going to sit there with their arms wide open and say, here's what we can do for you. And honestly, the schools that are setting themselves up best for this, just go and look, you you can look up, okay, schools with the highest performing social football, social media, schools with the highest performing basketball, social media. Um, um, I think it's Hootsuite puts out rankings every single month of the top 25 uh, social accounts. Those are the schools that you need to look to because like I can say from just reading articles and everything about Purdue, I know I use Purdue as examples, but that's the team I follow. And um, you look at some of the stuff that they do. Prior to even NIL, they had their social media department working with their student athletes on how to better promote themselves on social media. Well, you know, that's free. You're not, they're not, there's no money being exchanged there. You, you know, they, they are, they're, they're a brand themselves. So a lot of programs and schools have already been working towards this NIL um, situation. And working with their student athletes on social media, how to better build your brand on social media. They've even included their, their schools of businesses. I know Purdue has included Cranert School of Business in putting together a, a, a plan to present to student athletes 
uh, in recruiting about how Purdue can help them build their name, image, likeness, build their brand, essentially. So that, that's, that's the difference in recruiting now. It's not just, here's our facilities, here's what we've done in the past. Oh, and by the way, here's what our school looks like. But it's now what we can do for you. So yeah. that's where that's where you're going to see the effect. I think you're going to see smaller recruiting battles from in-state. Like it's going to, I think, on the basketball side of things, it's going to be a big battle between Purdue and Indiana because Purdue can say, "Look, this is what we've done recently. This is what we can do for you." And IU, all they got to say is, "We're the we're the na- we're the household brand, regardless right. of what we do on the court in the state of Indiana." Uh, we're going to draft a non-MLB all-star team uh, an all-star baseball team so basically what the premise is we're going to pick uh, active non-MLB athletes so NFL players NBA players NHL players Olympic athletes because technically there's not all-stars but I mean obviously they're on the U.S. team so that should qualify for something uh collegiate all-stars um so I get you know if you made the all big 10 team if you made the all you know, uh, you were a national champion. Yeah, or uh, we did world, we world champion. We kind of dabbled. You know, I think we got we both of us kind of also got kind of fast and loose with like. There's not really all stars picked in those sports, but they're also like the like one of the faces of those sports. So I mean, if there was, you'd consider it. But I mean, hey, it's just like a fun little practice. So you know, no need to get too technical with it. Um, so yeah, basically the only stipulation was they had to be active. They had to have been an all star at some point. So they didn't have to be an all star like this year, but at some point were an all star. Um, and then I've, and then uh, ha- they are not an MLB player or a, a baseball player at all. So no college World Series players either, which really took I think probably the entire team from B Scott because. Uh, since he's uh, fresh off the College World Series. My team got drafted last night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so basically what we're going to do is uh, we're picking catcher uh, uh, through right field. So like all the main positions, we're picking a starting pitcher and a closing pitcher. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start. We'll go back and forth here. I'll tell you who my catcher is. Then B. Scott will tell you who his, his catcher is and so on and so far. So on and so forth. See, it's already starting so farth. Uh, is what we're going to say now on the show. Uh, but uh, <laughs> so on so forth. Uh, <laughs> so let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, my catcher for my team is going to be Quentin Nelson. So I like originally went a couple different ways with this. I originally thought like, okay, I want to like, let's go Tom Brady because he was a catcher in high school. And then, uh, as I filled out the rest of my team, like I wanted to make sure I I didn't have because it's no fun just having you know we're already not super like defined in like hockey. So like if we're talking major sports, if we can't pick MLB and we don't know a whole lot about hockey, then that just leaves basketball and NFL. And so I was like, well, I mean, I want to do my best to work in as many non. Uh, you know, major sport people as possible. So as I was filling out the rest of my team, I made some sacrifices, one of those being Tom Brady. Uh, I thought maybe Mark andre Fleury, like a goalie, um, you know, somehow, you know, something like that. That my mind, too. Yeah. Um, so I thought that... They wear the same kind of protective gear. Right. Totally different. Yes. When it comes to... Yeah. Media. Because you're, you're, hey, but see, and, and it's kind of the same along the same lines that got me to Quentin Nelson because I have a big guy. He's not going to let the ball pass him. He is just an absolute unit. He's going to be able to 
knock down and absorb any hit he takes from the baseball. He's going to be able to, you know, his pitch framing might not be the greatest. He may not have the greatest arm uh, to throw runners out. But at the same time, he's going to, you know, block the plate really well as far as, you know, not letting any wild pitches go, not letting any pass balls. Um, And then also, so, you know, the rule is, you know, obviously we know no uh, home plate collisions anymore because you're not going to do a home plate collision on Quentin Nelson, first of all. But if even, uh, but the rule is, as long as you have the ball, you can you can block the plate. I mean, dude, I have the ultimate plate blocker uh, in Quentin Nelson. He's not going to let anybody buy him. He's not going to let anybody run him over at the plate if there's a play at the plate. So I went Quentin Nelson. So I went with another Indianapolis Colt at catcher as well. However, when I look at the catcher position, I look at it as somebody that is basically commanding the defense uh, of his team, you know, making sure the shifts are correct, making sure the pitch calls are correct. Basically, he's orchestrating the entire defense. So for me, I went with Darius Leonard, uh, an inside, a middle linebacker. A lot of times, I know in the Colts' past schemes, there wasn't really – Darius Leonard calling out the play calls. I know it was Anthony Walker, maybe Darius Leonard some, but just the position itself has always been known um, at inside linebacker, middle linebacker to be that player that is in control of the defense, you know, calls out different shifts, different things like that. When it comes to potential collisions, it's a linebacker, you know, they look to smack somebody in the mouth. Um, He's got the arm to be able to throw it, and he's he's got long arms as well. So he's not going to let – he's got a good reach on him, so he's not going to be able to uh, let things get by him. Uh, but for me, I need somebody that can command my defense and uh, be, be that captain. I like it. I like that we both went Colts at the catcher position. I, I, do, I do think it's awesome. All right, first base, I went with Giannis Antetokounmpo. The Milwaukee Bucks sensation, the Greek freak himself. And this is basically just going prototypical first baseman. He's tall. He's got a great reach. Basically, it's funny because I have it made to where, like, I could basically go on the other side of the infield, you know, third third base and shortstop and, um, and, you know, have, you know, nobody who's accurate on that side, and I do, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I could just put, I could have put anybody over there, and Giannis is going to be able to, you know, lean out for, for you know, a ball that might take a bad, weird, you know, hop on him, you know, a good pick, you know, that he can make over there. So I just went for someone who's, you know, got the reach and the wingspan and who's tall enough where it's going to be hard to throw a ball that he can't get to. Um, from uh, wherever you're throwing it from on the infield. So uh, I went Giannis, a big guy. I mean, these two guys that I went with, Quentin Nelson Giannis, are not guys who are going to um, you know necessarily hit high in my lineup if I were to make an actual like you know you know a lineup for hitting. Uh, but these are more of my defensive guys here with uh, Giannis at first base, uh, you know, commanding that side of the infield. So um, that's who I went with at first base. I I. This is where the non-active part first got me because I originally was going to do Michael Phelps uh, because he also has a really big, you know, freakishly long arms. But then I was like, oh right, the you know arbitrary rules that I set up where <laughs> you know where you have to be active are bite me in the bite me in the rear here. So I went with Giannis at first base. So for me, um, I look at first base. Obviously, I'm an AL guy, so. 
a first baseman can be somebody that doesn't have to be super athletic, but can also step in in the DH role. Um, so, but I did kind of went along the idea of somebody that can make good catches, somebody that's got some good power behind him. I went with uh, Travis Kelsey, the mm-hmm. uh, tight end from like the City Chiefs. Um, I feel like, you know, you don't need to, as a tight end, you don't have to run, be the fastest guy on the field. You know, you need to run, be able to run, but you also need to be able to do multiple things. And that's kind of, you know, and you got to have good power as well and the ability to make some good catches here and there. Um, so I thought a tight end might be a good fit for somebody at first base. And I went with Travis Kelsey. Yeah, that is a really good um, a good pick there. Uh, I do like it. Um, at second base, um, I do have John Cena. This is my first. Uh, out- What's that? He's not active. He, he's active. I looked it up. No. Are you he sure? He shows up on occasion. Okay, but if you were to make an all-star, t- you know, Ron- he's th- he's technically not retired. He's not The Rock. I could have picked, like, The Rock, who, like, the Rock's technically not retired either. Okay, so there you go. I could have picked The Rock then, but uh, they're not—they're not truly active. I mean, uh, I mean, I don't I'll know. I appreciate it. Uh, I mean, I'll—I'll I'll try to see if I can come up with another one. But the reason I went with John Cena, I—I I looked it up and it didn't say he was retired. So I was like, okay, he's technically still active. He—he he technically comes back. I mean, I don't know. Anyway, I went John Cena. Um, and the reason I went with uh, John Cena is, for one, I wanted someone who is not, uh, you know, again, your, your, you know, f- four major sport athlete. Um, you know, I went with a guy. His, I did look into it. So he, most of these guys that like have not played, with the exception of Quentin Nelson. Well, I mean, all these guys have not played baseball. With some of the like non-major four sports guys that I went with. I did, like, look them up to see, like, hey, do they have at least some baseball pass where I can, like, sort of link it in? And uh, with John Cena, uh, I think, I can't remember if it was his dad or if it was, like, his grandpa that, like, played baseball. And so I was like, okay, well, I mean, it's in his blood. It's in his lineage. What was the baseball connection then to Giannis? That's what I want No, I'm saying, I'm saying with the non-major sp- four, like the non-major oh. sports. So, like, with some of my guys down the, lo- the, lo- the road, I was like, I mean, I guess really only with John Cena and then my center fielder are the only two guys I did that for. But um, I, uh, yeah, I went John Cena. He's not going to be, you know, really great defensively, but he does have a lot of, obviously, he's very strong. He's a wrestler. Uh, he, you know, is going to have a lot of uh, upper body strength to try to drive balls out of the park. He's going to be more of your power second baseman. He's going to be more of a Max Muncy than he is going to be, you know, a Darwin Barney, a Brandon Phillips who, you know, is out there, a Dustin Pedroia who's out there playing really good defense. He's going to be more of a guy who's going to just go out there and slug. So, I, and plus, like, I wanted to include John Cena somehow. I think whoever it is in his lineage that has played baseball was like a corner infielder, but I was like, eh, he doesn't have to make long throws. He's at second base. Um, so I was like, yeah, just put him at second. He's got to throw to first and potentially home um, at a couple of times. So I went with John Cena over at second base. So I went with a wrestler as well, but an actual wrestler. <laughs> um, so when I look at second base, I kind of i am picking based off of, you know, I always feel like second basemen are ultimate utility guys. 
a lot of times they can play multiple positions. They, you know, looking at past guys like Brock Holt from the Red Sox, ultimate utility guy. I'm also looking at, you know, you don't have to be the biggest guy. You don't have to be the fastest guy. You don't have to have the most power. You got to be smart, though, when you play second base. You got to be sometimes have some good quickness to you. So I'm thinking like a Dustin Pedroia type. I ended up ultimately choosing um, world champion wrestler and now Olympian wrestler Kyle Dake. Kyle Dake is the ultimate uh, utility guy. He was a four-time national champion in college at four different weight classes. The first person and only person to ever do that. Um, so that's tough. I mean, it's tough winning four national championships is tough enough, but then doing it at four different weight classes is even tougher. Um, went to Cornell, so he's, he's smart. Uh, he's quick on his feet, which is, you kind of have to be. I mean, Andy Bernard went to Cornell, so, I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be smart. It's an Ivy League school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're good. <laughs> um, so I, I went with Kyle Dake at second base because he's got all the attributes that you want that I look at as a second baseman. He does have enough power. Um, you know, he's strong, obviously. He's not gonna have to put his. You probably have to put his entire body into it to hit a home run, much like Dustin Pedroia used to. I mean, if you want to talk about a swing, whoo wee! That dude, when he wanted to hit a home run, the entire body went for a ride. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I remember. You know, yeah, I, like yeah. You if you watch one of Dustin Pedroia's old old swings, like it's one of those like almost cartoony. Like you're afraid the bat's gonna like carry him away. Um, well, it's it's like no wonder he had some back issues <laughs> right <laughs> um so for at third base for me um i went with kansas city chiefs quarterback patrick mahomes um reason i went with patrick mahomes i i don't first of all i don't know if he played but i feel like he did like get drafted like i don't know if he's one of those guys that got technically drafted for baseball and just never played or what um, but, you know, we always see Patrick Mahomes making these wild throws. I mean, he was literally horizontal with the field at the Super Bowl, you know, throwing a pass into the end zone. So, like, I feel like he's going to be like your Nolan Arenado type guy where he's making all these crazy plays, you know, ranging into foul territory and throwing it over. He's also got, you know, an incredibly strong arm. He's going to be able to hit really well. He's got speed. Um I don't really know what your MLB comparison to, like, besides Nolan Arenado defensively. I don't know offensively what you would compare him to, um, but uh, he definitely is going to be a big asset. He's going to, like I said, he's going to have the speed. He's going to be able to make all the crazy throws, you know, if someone puts the ball, you know, you know, into the outfield, sorry, into the, like, foul territory. He's going to be able to, you know, make the tarp catch. He's going to be able to just be all over the field. So I went Patrick Mahomes at third base for me. I also went with a Patrick. I went with Patrick Kane of the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, when I think about playing third base, it's the hot corner. And you got to be able to lay your body out a lot of times to make some very difficult catches. Um, he's got to be a tougher player, it seems like, at third base. Uh, Patrick Kane, one of those types of players in the NHL. He's a tough player. He, you know, a seasoned guy. And that's kind of what I wanted. I want somebody that's able to move quickly with their feet. Obviously, you got to be able to move quickly on ice skates and is tough and willing to lay out when necessary. And that's Patrick Kane. I like it. Uh, shortstop, I went Russell Wilson. This is my, like, only ringer. 
This is my yeah. only ringer that I have on my uh, team. I was like, I wanted to get somebody. Russell Wilson has actually taken at bats in spring training. Um, I don't know what position. I couldn't remember if he was an outfielder or if he was an actual infielder at any point in time. But he, he's got the baseball know-how. He's, you know, he's got the arm. He's got the speed. Um, he's going to basically, like, pull that entire infield together. So easy choice there, I know. Um, but just... Uh, you know, just the guy. I mean, I had to have somebody who was going to be like, you know, the guy that's actually going to have the MLB type talent to go out there and perform. Um, so I went Russell Wilson, quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks, and also part time New York Yankee. And went spring training. Wasn't he drafted by the Rangers though? Yeah, he was drafted by the Rangers and then got like traded. Like they traded their rights. <laughs> like the Rangers were like, no, he's too good. He just get him off our team. We don't yeah. want him. Yeah, you can just just take him. Like yes, exactly what we want. <laughs> yes, hey, maybe they need to call or the Yankees need to call Russell Wilson at this point and see if they can get something going. Maybe. So for my shortstop, I went with Kawhi Leonard. Um, shortstop is one of those positions you need to be able to to jump. <laughs> you know, True. Like get the, you need to be able. To, you need long arms. You need to be able to make uh, some sound defensive um, plays because it's one of I think it's one of the tougher positions to play Kawhi Leonard is one of the very few if only NBA all-stars that actually plays defense and is known for his defensive efforts um, so I felt like let's prove I need I wanted an NBA player and he felt to me he fit the mold the best of somebody that could you know make the athletic moves when needed um he's got a good reach on him and he he knows how to play solid defense i like he's it more than solid defense i mean he was defensive player of the year a couple times and he's always on the all nba defensive team which is a joke of a team but he actually plays defense so he gets the nod at shortstop for me so starting off in the outfield i did a lot of as you can imagine, you know, very on brand for me. I've definitely overthought my outfield and moved guys around about a half dozen times, but this is where uh, I ended up. Um, I, what I ended up with first over and left. I have Steph Curry. Um, reason he's over there and left is because uh, you know I wanted somebody in left who was going to be able to make you know the throw home, um, you know, do that relay, and I like my relay of Steph to Mahomes, to Nelson, if you got to try to throw somebody out at home. Um, and also, I mean, you know, he's another quick guy. He's got a good arm. I I, I'm, I guess I'm just kind of guessing on his arm strength because, like, he's shooting shots that are, like, you know, three-fourths of the court. So I was like, you got to have some arm strengths to do that. Um, and so originally I had Mahomes in left for that reason. But then I was like, no, I'd rather have Mahomes being my, like, Nolan Arenado over at the hot corner. So um, that's why he's uh, over there and left. So originally I think I had Steph. I, I had Steph, I think, at one point at second, then in right, then in left. I, like, moved him around um, trying to trying to fit him in there because he's also a really good leader. I think he's going to be kind of the leader of that outfield squad. Um and he's just going to be, uh, you know, pretty good defensively. I think my team is really good defensively overall. I don't know if we're going to really hit many home runs or anything, or if we're going to be, you know, get scoring many runs. Uh, but we're definitely not going to let any anything pass us. So left field for me, my outfield is pretty NFL heavy, and I went for more uh, ability with speed and ability to catch. 
So my left fielder is Tyreek Hill. I always think of, when I think of a left fielder, you don't have to be the biggest guy out there on the field. You, you, I mean, having some good speed is good, but having good eyes and be able to play the ball and have quick hands, I feel like is a good left field trait, mostly because I look at the Red Sox <laughs> when I'm thinking of my outfield. That's what, I, I built my team around like Fenway and <laughs> all this. So yeah, I have Tyreek Hill as my left fielder. I mean, obviously my left fielders and right fielder can switch out. Yeah. However, I'm surprised you didn't put Tyreek in center. That that's where I would have. Yeah, you'll be surprised. My center, I, I have a, a I have a special move at center. Yeah, center for me, I wanted to go Usain Bolt, but again, not active, so that kind of stinks. I went with Joseph Newgarden, who I didn't realize was such a dang athlete. I like looked at his like profile, uh, you know, on IndyCar.com, and he not only is I didn't realize he was like a gamer. He was, you know, he played. Uh, baseball and basketball and went to the NFL Combine and, like, all this stuff. So he's just an overall athlete. Um, I don't know about his quickness. Um, I know I could have gone, you know, probably somebody a little bit quicker in center field. Uh, but he's going to be just a dang athlete. So for him, I think he'd be more of a Kevin Pillar than he would be, like, a Byron Buxton. Um, as far as, like, he's not going to – he's going to have some decent speed to track down a ball in center, but he's not, like – racing over from you know being shaded left to make a catch over in deep right um he's not going to be able to do anything crazy like that but i think he's going to be able to make some good plays a kevin pilar type out there uh you know joe you know i mean his you know his indy car is fast so i like i'm hoping he's fast as well i know those don't have any correlation um but that's what i'm hoping is that uh you know, uh, Penske, IndyCar driver Jeff New Joseph Newgarden. I keep forgetting to like say what sport they're from, and that's the, probably not the best thing. Uh, but Joseph Newgarden from IndyCar. Um, I you know I, I don't know. I I wanted again. I wanted to try to get as many non you know NFL NBA players as I could. And I, once I saw Joseph Newgarden was just you know all over the place athletics wise, I went with him in center field. You know, actually, if it was if if, if this guy was still active. I, I didn't go with any race car drivers, but if I was going to, if he was still active, Carl Edwards is who I would have gone with. I mean, that guy was like, you could get out of a car after a, 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 the Coca-Cola 600 and not look winded one. And day. if he won, do a backflip. Yeah. See, I would have, if, if, okay, if you would have put... The car for 600 more miles, like, let's do this. If you would have <laughs> put Carl Edwards on your team, you should have put him on, at uh, shortstop so he could be like Ozzy Smith doing the backflip. There you go. But he's not active. He's retired. He is. So my center, my center fielder, I went with somebody that plays center field in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I went with free safety Minka Fitzpatrick. Ooh, interesting. So the free safety position is one that is a big-time roamer and can play deep, can play up close, whatever you need. They, they know how to play kind of just all over. And a lot of free safeties are ball hawks. I don't necessarily know if Mika Fitzpatrick is considered a ball hawk. Let's just be honest. I, I don't. But that position is known for being a ball hawk. And that's kind of what you want at your center fielder, somebody that can chase down the ball, make big catches uh, deep, and also high point the ball as well. Much like wide receivers, you want that as well. So I figured a free safety playing center field, because I almost went – wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver in the outfield. That would have been too easy, but I was like, wait a second, what is a good comparison? I figured free safety. So Minka Fitzpatrick, what it was. 
I like where your head's at. In right field for me, Rob Gronkowski, tight end for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's going to be my locker room guy to keep everything jovial. I mean, it's a 162-game season. Uh, you're going to need someone who's going to, you know, lighten the tension, who's going to, you know, make everybody laugh. That's going to be Rob Gronkowski. He's also just a freaking tank. Um, so he's my power guy. He's probably batting cleanup. I'm probably just scrapping things defensively, but I'm also going off the fact that I play right field in Little League. So, like, you, obviously you don't need to be that great on defense to play right field, although there are good defensive right fielders, a.k.a. Jason Hayward. Um, but I'm going to go with Rob Gronkowski there. He's got the strength. He's going to be my home run hitter. He's going to be right there, probably in front of John Cena in the lineup. Because, you know, obviously we're going to have, like, Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson at the top of the lineup set the table uh, for Gronkowski and Cena. That's where we're really it's going to be the real meat and potatoes of our lineup. Uh, so but yeah, kind of like your old, the old fat, the old uh, David Ortiz followed up by Manny Ramirez. Right. Yeah, you're going to have your guys to like get on base uh, right in front of our your power hitters to drive them in. So I really like that uh, that combination there. So, yeah, I went uh, Rob Gronkowski to round out my uh, position players. So for me at right field, I went with Tennessee Titans wide receiver A.J. Brown. Again, same idea behind Tyreek Hill. I need somebody with some speed. I need somebody that can chase down the ball, that can follow the ball through the air, uh, you know, I don't know how good of an arm necessarily would have. It's hard to tell. Uh, outside of a quarterback, that's to be honest at any uh, position. But um, defensively, going to pretty much catch anything that comes his way, can run it down, make a diving catch if necessary. Um, also, I mean, he, he's, for a guy that's fast, he also is pretty strong. You know, he's not like a, one of those skinny guys so i believe looking at him he looks like he could have some power behind him as well all right so now to our pitching staff um my starting pitcher i went with aaron Rodgers. if for no better reason obviously quarterback he's got the arm he's you know he's got the you know he's got the great arm strength he's gonna be kind of your fastball uh you know he's gonna throw a lot of fastballs he's not gonna you know he's not gonna be your kyle hendricks or your greg maddox and paint the corners he's gonna go right after you and for whatever reason, the pitcher that I've gravitated to as far as pitchers that I've enjoyed watching in Major League Baseball, it's been your Max Scherzers, it's been your uh, you know John Lackeys, your John Lesters, your Madison Bumgarners, who's gonna have who are gonna be like just absolute lunatics on the mound. They're gonna yell at you. They're gonna you know talk to themselves on the mound. They're gonna yell at the umpire if they think the call's bad. I feel like that's where Aaron Rodgers is in his in his uh, you know in his athletic career. He's that just kind of the you know old guy who's just kind of angry at everything. Um, so I, I that's why I went with Aaron Rodgers. He's just going to be out there throwing fastballs and screaming at people, um, and that's what I want in a starting pitcher. Because um, I feel like honestly, you know, Aaron Rodgers, if he played baseball, I think he'd have a lot of like that aggression that he has. I think out because you know in in football, I mean a lot. I mean obviously, you know referees make an impact on the game but like i feel like it's more direct in major league baseball where the umpires literally have a say in everything it's not just spotting the ball after a play or, or something like that it's literally letting you know like hey it's a ball hey it's a strike hey this is determining what you're going to throw next and it really literally determines every outcome i think 
And so that's why they always catch a lot of ire from managers and players. So I think that's gonna that would be able to uh, that would allow Aaron Rodgers to get some of that off his chest. But uh, but yeah, I went with uh, Aaron Rodgers as my starting pitcher. So I kind of went with the same idea of you know you want a guy that's got a powerful arm and can really throw the, the fastball. So I went with Buffalo Bills quarterback Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. He's also known as one of the players that can like just chuck a ball. A mile. I just, it's just, he can get on. I, I think he, is he the one that dropped down to his knees and threw the ball like 70 yards? No. Well, I know Kyle Buller did that back in the day, but I don't remember if he's the one that like recently did it. Okay. But he is known for his powerful arm. He is, I mean, it's, it's pretty strong. So I don't think he's, you know, he's, I, for me, I kind of want a starting pitcher that's calm, cool, collected, that can go through the pitch progressions, make the smart decisions, and go deep into a game, and then uh, get to your closing pitcher who can be your uh, off-the-wall crazy guy that's uh, going to bring bring the intensity to the field. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll explain more once we get to my closing. Picture. Yeah, and so I have—I didn't know who any of the other players on your team were, but like I knew what was coming with closer because we talked about it a little bit. Um, so for my closer, you know, I, so look, a little bit of backstory. I originally wanted again Pat McAfee screw myself over over with my arbitrary rules, and then I wanted to put John Cena here, but then like. Like and then I heard who you were gonna have as closer and I was like I I want to mix it up a little bit make it a little bit different so I was like who like I could go with the kicker because like basically the only the only thing that mattered to me was like they have a screw loose like they're a little crazy um so I was like you kind of have to be crazy to like you only like I mean not to trivialize it because I hate when people do that but like like. You go out there and you kick a ball. That's your entire thing that you do. That's what you practice to go do. You're not doing a whole bunch of drills. I mean, you are, but like not as intense as like a wide receiver or quarterback. I guess so I could go kicker. I could go punter. Um, I could, you know, I was like, what, what could I do? And so then it came to mind, and again, you know, in the effort of trying to, you know, pick not a ton of major four athletes, I was like, originally I wanted to go like Joey Chestnut. Um, I thought that'd be interesting, but I was like, eh, we'll go a little bit, uh, at least a little bit more athletic ability than just competitive eating. Um, so I went with James Conrad and he recently won, I'm not sure what tournament he won for disc golf, but he won like one of the like major tournaments for disc golf. The, The only reason I know that he exists is because John Boy did a breakdown uh, of his like because basically he hit this like incredibly clutch shot like he had like a birdie um uh, where he and and you know which got into the uh, goal or the hole or whatever they call it it's just kind of that that stand with all the chains on it um yeah. so um so yeah so for one so for one he's a like he obviously he knows how to make the frisbee move in the ways he needs to so he's going to be more of a you know off speed he's going to have a lot of break uh, to what he throws, so he's gonna throw you sliders, he's gonna throw you cutters, he's gonna throw you curveballs. Um, you know, he's not gonna be, he's not gonna have a lot of heat to him. Um, he does, he, he's got, you know, the ponytail going. He's got the, you know, Josh Hader type hair. Um, you know, he's got, he's a little bit kooky because, because here's the thing, like I'm not trying to knock disc golf because, like, if you can do that at that high of a level, 
you know more to you but like with stuff like that it'd be like being a professional kickball player like how do, how does that go beyond just like oh hey he's really good at kickball and like not like it's so it's always crazy to me to think of like stuff like that where it's like he went that extra level and went pro like i i don't think i would have the mental capacity i wouldn't have the bravery to do that because i'd be like okay i guess i'm just really good at disc golf that's cool i'm gonna go you know do whatever now and not pursue that as a you know major career but i mean hey more power to you um i'm not knocking it for sure so yeah i went james conrad disc golf professional just won a major tournament where he had to hit an incredibly clutch shot. So he's got the clutch gene. He's got the hair. He's a little bit off. He, he knows how to move whatever it is that he's throwing in all different kinds of ways. I feel like obviously the motion's going to be a little bit kooky too because, you know, of how you throw a, a frisbee. Um, so, yeah, I, I went with uh, James Conrad as my closer. So for my closer, when I think of closers, yeah, you, you got your your greats and Mariano Rivera, and you know they're kind of stoic and everything. But I want somebody that's got some flair, that's got some attitude, not just some that got flair, that's got attitude, that's got um, swagger. That's the word right there for my closer. I guess my closer is not going to be active for a while now. <laughs> My my closer is going to be starting the baseball season off <laughs> on the IL. <laughs> sixty day uh, IL for uh, for this guy. Sixty day IL. My closer is Conor McGregor, UFC former UFC champion. Um, obviously, he's on the DL after a pretty <laughs> Saturday night, but. This is a guy that even went down after breaking his ankle is still bringing the fight to the audience and everything. He's a performer. He's, you know, he's a, always thinking two steps ahead. And that's kind of what uh, you want from your closer. Somebody that's going to walk out there when he gets that last strikeout is going to strut it. And I don't know anybody better that can strut it than Conor McGregor. Like they said on Saturday night that when he came out and started strutting, they said many have imitated it, none can duplicate it, and that's that's the truth. Um, you know he's he's got long arms too, which you kind of want. He, he's he's got a powerful punch, so that you think that would translate into a powerful pitch um, as well. I don't know many Irish baseball players, but um, I what? mean this is. The, this he's not, he's, he's not Irish, but he kind of reminds me of like what like Grant Balfour back in the day, who was the closer for the Athletics, where he well, he was Australian, but he would like bark at you. He would like yell and get himself pumped up. Kind of reminds me more of the guy I pictured was Jonathan Papelbach. Yeah, that's a good uh, comparison. With, with the mean mug, and Conor McGregor kind of has a mean mug on him when he. Uh, <laughs> the face-offs face-offs and uh weigh-ins and everything um and he's got i don't know it's just that's that's exactly who i want as my closing pitcher i mean come on he's gonna get into the heads of the of the batters how many how many guys can sit there with a broken ankle and yell at your opponent and like yell your wife is in me dms (laughs) come on it's 
It's yeah. nuts. So that's who I, I want Conor McGregor as my closer. Basically, when you told me like who your closer was going to be, I was like, I can't top that swagger-wise. So I just got to go like off the wall with it. You're listening to the Best of the Crash Course podcast for 2021. Uh, as today or yesterday, if you're listening to this on the podcast side of things or the audio version of, of the podcast, the Texas Longhorns and the Oklahoma Sooners have um, basically uh, notified the Big 12 that they will not renew their media rights when they expire in 2025. They do intend on staying in the Big 12, but we'll keep an eye on the college football landscape. Um, both schools are eyeing the SEC. Uh, who would need 11 of 14 schools to approve expansion. We're, I mean, obviously pretty certain that they would accept the the Sooners and the Longhorns with open arms. Um, but, you know, I, I saw a meme uh, that encapsulated this move perfectly uh, and encapsulated my viewpoint on this move um, very perfectly. Um, it's... Uh, so when I when the news dropped today, um, it, Bleacher Report sent out their like typical like Twitter reacts to the Sooners and the Longhorns possibly leaving the Big Twelve, and or leaving the Big Twelve. They're pretty much certain they're going to leave. Um, and it was the meme of Woody Harrelson crying, but using like hundred dollar bills to like wipe up his tears because the tweet was like. You know, it's 2025 or, you know, it's 2030. And for the fifth year in a row, uh, the Texas Longhorns finished fourth in the SEC East. And that's what it that's what it feels like. I mean, well, I mean, it really it feels like it because it is it's a money move, uh, you know, over anything of quantity, anything of quality or anything of quality, anything of performance. Um, because when you look at Texas, especially Oklahoma has been better. I mean, Oklahoma, you know, they are three and three versus the SEC uh, during the college football playoff era. Those three wins, though, against Tennessee, Auburn, and Florida. Um, they're they're zero and three against Alabama, Georgia, and LSU. So some of the stronger SEC schools they have struggled against. Um, they have um, zero college football title appearances, um, and and those games they've usually lost to um, the the SEC teams of the world. Um, but when you look at Texas especially, and I understand that these are two schools that bring in a lot of money, and that's the only reason this is happening. It just kind of stinks because you see the sports world slowly but surely not prioritizing the quality they're putting on the field because they're like, oh, well, they figured it out. Someone leaked the secret that we're going to watch anyway, so you might as well just go ahead and do what makes the most money rather than what you know puts out the best quality, forgetting that good quality will also equal likely more money. Um, so, I mean, you look at Texas that has really struggled to retain any sort of relevance since Mac Brown left. Only one Big 12 title appearance over the past decade. Zero uh, Big 12 titles. Zero college football playoff appearances. Uh, they've had, you know... Four or five different coaches. Will Muschamp. They had, uh, didn't they? They had uh, Max Strong. Didn't they have him from Louisville? Um, you know, some uh, Charlie they, Strong. Charlie Strong. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm getting. I'm getting my Texas coaches' names mixed up. But yeah, I mean, you have all these, you know, different coaches that have passed through Texas. You know, you're really. I mean, I can't even think of the last like Texas like prospect that has come out i mean obviously we have sam ellinger but like when's the last time we had like you you had a player you were excited about coming out of texas for the nfl draft sam um, 
say macho. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, but I mean, that's really it though. It's not like you can name yeah. five off the top of your head. Um, and so it's Samuel cost me. <laughs> I was excited about him. Um, but it's just, um, I, I don't, I think this actually makes Texas possibly more like it, it, it's, it's not a good, it, it, it could lead to better recruiting, but I, I see, so. but I see, Oh, I, I mean, I just said it could, it, it, it might not either, but I see, Cause I mean, you look at the schools that have, that have migrated uh, to other conferences from the big 12 Colorado. I mean, they struggled in the big 12. They've struggled in the pac 12, whatever they've actually been Colorado better. Colorado hasn't 12. been the same team though, since the early nineties with Cordell Stewart. Right. So um, let's miss, I mean, Mizzou, Mizzou was like almost pretty much fresh off being in the big 12 title game with Chase Daniel. They had Jeremy Macklin. Uh, on that team, they were actually on the up and up. They moved to the SEC, and they've been pretty irrelevant. I don't think Texas will be – I mean, I'm not saying Texas is going to be wiped completely off the map and be irrelevant. Oh, but no. but it's they're still Texas, and they still play, they're still from the state of Texas. Right. They're so, never going to be irrelevant. But it's just the fact that they're not going to be – like, this doesn't get them closer to a college football playoff. This doesn't get them closer to a conference championship. This because doesn't get honestly, them – in my opinion, I don't even think they're the best Texas school in the SEC. Right. Texas A&M is the only school that ha- that moved to the SEC that has really flourished since moving over to that conference. Mm-hmm. Um, they Because they, then when they were at the t- kind of tail end of their Big 12 run, they were you know, t- you know, towards the bottom of the league. And, and let's throw in the fact that the Big 12 – with Texas not being relevant, it's not like there have been four or five amazing schools. I mean, this is a Big 12 conference where, yeah, West Virginia, but West Virginia hasn't been the same in years. You have, you know, Baylor has been off and on. TCU has been off and on. Oklahoma State has been off and on. I mean, there's not been, you know, there's not a school every year besides Oklahoma that you say, okay, this is a team that can compete it's just after the first couple of weeks you kind of know okay this year it's iowa state's turn this year it's texas you know it's texas's turn this year it's baylor's turn to be the team that challenges oklahoma it's not been a conference that has you know consistently been good it's 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 one of those conferences like the big 10 and like we've talked about in other shows where you know if Team X doesn't win the conference. They don't go to the college football playoff. I don't even know the year that Texas played Oklahoma in the year that they went to the college or the year that they went to the Big 12 championship game. If Texas would have even made the uh, college football playoff had they beat Oklahoma. So I think it was like 2017 or 2018. So I doubt they they would have even made it. So, I mean, I don't even think Oklahoma made it that year. It's a bad move. Um, from a on the field aspect, and it's just a shame that that's not what anybody is taking into consideration. It, it's only about the dollar signs, which I mean, I understand. You know, obviously, is a product of of the times, product of you know, kind of the world we live in now. But um, I, I I don't know. I, I I'm I I'm not surprised at the move, but it's just it's a head scratcher if you just think about it from the purely like on the field aspect of it. Yeah. I, I mean, from the SEC standpoint, this makes sense because you're getting a bigger foothold now in uh, Texas. And I know people are like, well, this is just the rich getting richer, but 
te- and te- technically, money-wise, the Big Ten is king, money-wise, when it comes to how much each of their, their schools are making and all of that. Um, and the SEC has been playing catch-up. And by adding Texas and Oklahoma, this now pulls the SEC almost even with the Big Ten. My question is, how does this work out with Texas and their own TV network? You know, yeah. because the SEC well, has its own TV network. So is the SEC network going to want to compete with the Longhorn network? Well, they're now, both here the we ESPN. are saying that we're talking about them to the SEC. That's not a, a done deal. you got to remember, 11 of the 14 SEC schools have to approve this. So I can tell you right now, Texas A&M is saying, nope, we do. We want to be the only Texas school in the SEC. So no, we're denying this. Missouri is probably going to say no to it as well because that's just going to add even more tough teams to there. And they, they play in the, the weaker of the two divisions right now as it is in the SEC, and they'll most likely have to face Texas and Oklahoma. So they may turn it down. And if I had to guess, Vanderbilt would be another one that may turn it down because Vanderbilt is like one of the original, original SEC schools and could potentially see some writing on the wall there of what could potentially be looming. Um, My biggest concern, I don't, there's no, this is just a concern that I have that I was talking to, I saw some other people talking about it and it was like, Hmm, this makes sense. Um, Kind of postured alongside with the, the new NIL rules that have come about. And there's always also have been some rumblings that, Ohio State has reached out to the SEC. Don't know how legitimate those are, but at the same time, we didn't think Texas and Oklahoma, the rumors were legitimate either. Um, but, you know, there was more people reporting that. I think a few people have come out and said uh, about o- Ohio State. So that's probably not as legitimate as these other rumors. But my big concern is that these big name programs – are going to come together in the SEC, having to potentially boot out people like Vanderbilt, South Carolina, uh, Kentucky, Missouri, and create their own mega conference of just the all the, the best of the best, the Clemsons, the Ohio States, the Michigans, the Penn States, the Florida States, the Miamis, you know, the big dollar programs, and basically pick themselves up and leave the NCAA and start basically their own league where they all contend against each other and have their own championship. Now, I don't know how that would work for other sports per se, because there's no way that type of conference or whatever it may be, or league could contend whatsoever with the, uh, with March madness. Right. Um, Because if you look at some of the big, blue the big programs in basketball yeah you got michigan there and you got texas but i mean who else ohio state to an extent okay ohio state michigan and texas are probably about your only ones i mean usc every so often maybe clemson every so often yeah so it's like that would be a tough that would be tough you know there's a lot of logistics there but the reason that this would be a potential concern is that because if you look at what the NFL's TV deal is, it's like third, it's like three billion or 
30, it's, it's something outrageous. It's in the billions. And this, like a league of the best teams like this could potentially bring in a TV deal on par with the NFL. And because of the NIL rulings and everything, these players could technically then begin to make a salary from the TV deals. And yeah, because it could honestly be something where in that scenario, now I I don't necessarily know that it'll be a doomsday scenario like that. I don't know. That that would leave because they like Purdue and IU like without a conference, essentially the Wisconsin. So, you know, these like Wisconsin, Minnesota, Nebraska, because let's all be honest, Nebraska is not getting an invite no matter how good they think they are. Um, but those types of programs are left in a lurch. So are you now then throwing, like, are all those schools going to come to like, go to like smaller conferences that would contend for uh, co- a, a college football national championship or an NCAA national championship? And then who do we say is, would be a legit national champion? I don't know. I, I know this is like way off the rails, but it is something that has been floated out there, at least in the universe by people. I don't think it's going to happen. I think honestly, what's ultimately going to happen is you're going to see four 16 team power conferences more so. And I think that's more likely because let's be honest. Yeah, I know Ohio State's probably sick and tired of having to share their piece of the pie with Rutgers in the Big Ten. Hmm. But Ohio State's piece of the pie is still bigger than anybody else's in the SEC. So. Yeah, I, but at the see, same time, how are you, how are, how is like the Big Ten now going to create more money? But at the same time, like somebody else said, when it comes to conference expansion now compared to last time, last time it was all about getting into TV markets, TV markets, TV markets. TV markets don't matter anymore because somebody in Utah can watch every one of their favorite Big Ten teams because of streaming. You can yeah. stream now, so it doesn't really matter. So now you got to start looking at okay, land area and what, how many households have TVs in them. So let's look at places. You know, we'll we'll get into like what's next, but you got that's what you kind of have to look at now. Is not just well, you know, this TV market is one of the best, and we could you know, but you got to look at okay, the population wise, how many TVs are there per household that could you know, that people may watch us on through streaming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm with you there. And as far as like the whole like doomsday, like scenario that you kind of mapped out, I mean, the way that I see that happening is those are all big enough college football powers to where they could just say F basketball. We don't, we don't, we'll, we'll put it, we'll put a product out there. Like maybe, a couple of weeks after March Madness, or you know, but even before March well, Madness, like during conference, that are big into basketball, like Michigan, like Ohio State. What about well, those? Just, and they'll just dominate, and the people that we're going to watch are going to watch anyway. I mean, that that's that's how it's because what I'm saying is football is going to be so big. It's kind of like how Kentucky doesn't care that they're bad at basketball or bad at football because they're good at basketball. Like they're like, okay, fine, we'll be the laughing stock of the SEC for three months, and then we'll go dominate every single college basketball game. Like, it, it, the- honestly, it could come down to it is, it, these conferences turn into 
football only conferences and your original conference allegiant lies still within basketball. I mean, but how are you going to do that? If the NCAA, if they, if they secede from the NCAA though, how are, cause I can't see the NCAA being like, okay, come on back. You guys can play basketball with us. Like, how are you, how would they be able to reconcile that now? Unless you're talking about the whole NCAA, like dissolving as an organization, which I, I don't think I would happen. Not. Yeah, I was gonna say I hope not for your sake, Scott. I don't know. Were you heard it here first? B Scott says the NCAA is folding. Um, God, no. no, 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 no. Um, but, yeah. Well, no. I mean, Mark Emmert has come out when the, in the with the NIL ruling. He did come out and say, you know, yeah, the the, the landscape is changing, and the NCAA needs to have more hands off in these types of situations. Basically. Because of NIL, they, they were like, we don't want to make rules and, you know, we're going to allow the conferences and the individual states to make their own rules on these and govern it. But, he's been, you know, wanting like, and, and that's the way that's I mean, that's the, just the changing of the landscape altogether. I mean, that's a big reason why when you look at the statement that Texas and Oklahoma put out saying that, hey, you know, what? yeah, 2025 is when we're going to we're going to be free agents. Wink, wink. You know, we all know that they're most likely not, but, you know, but they, they put a caveat there by saying, but we will be looking at the, uh, the evolving landscape of college football and see where it goes from there. Because it all, basically the Big 12 over the next two years could all just completely fall apart before uh, 2025. Or, you know, the, all the, the broadcast partners can see the writing on the wall and say, nope we're dumping you and we're going with these guys over here instead so then you know they, they join sooner 